Why is the force connecting us? Welcome to the Star Wars podcast where analysis, insight, and shipping come hand in hand. You're not alone. Neither are you. This is the Raylo Alliance. Hello everyone, welcome once again to the Raylo Alliance. I'm your host Gina and as always I'm joined by my co-host Andy and Fair. Hi guys, how are you? Hi. Hi everyone. <laughs> well, um, just before anything else, I just want to say that unfortunately Grisha is not with us today because she was very busy with very important matters such as going to see Jason Momoa playing Aquaman. Yes. So she's not, not available today. <laughs> Way to um, throw her off. Way to throw shade. Oh, no, it's fine. No, I'm not throwing shade. Like, I totally, like, I get her, you know. And it's totally fine. Um, but we are recording this right now because oof, we have such a history with this podcast. Like, the, as you know, the reason that this, the, we, we recorded this actually months ago, but the, the other file was kind of like, it was, it was a mess with the other file and we tried for months to fix it and then we couldn't and then we gave up and we were like, okay, we need to record again and then like now is the time that we all <laughs> had the time to get together and talk about it again. Um, so yeah, that's why it took so long. So we're sorry about that, but now we are doing it right and we're, we're finally getting it to you. So yay. Yay. <laughs> so before we start, do you have anything you want to say, like any news that have come out that you are excited about or something? It's been a while. Uh, I don't know. It's just that we are kind of just one year ahead of ep- uh, one year, uh, before episode nine. And it finally mm-hmm. feels like it's finally, we're finally, like, getting close to it. But because it's always been like, oh, it's it's more than a year that it comes out. And Yeah, I and I feel, I feel like this year is going to pass so fast. Because when I, we want to have news in April, I think. And there are people who are saying the, there's going to be a teaser in this month. But I, don't, I don't know. I think it's going to be until April. I think it's going to be like kind of a teaser or something for the Super Bowl, but not big. I think it's just going to be the title or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have total big speculation that we're going to get the title in January because we got the last Jedi title around January. So I think maybe next month we will have a title, so we will know what episode 9 will be called. And yeah, I totally agree with Ferla. I think um, 2019 sorry, is going to fly by because we're going to keep getting news and news and news and news and yeah, it's going to be like very exciting like first we're going to get the title then we're going to get some posters and then we're going to get a trailer and then we're going to get another trailer and then yeah just it's going to be very fun very heartbreaking like i'm not totally sure i'm ready for the <laughs> for, for the emotional year that's ahead of us it's going because, to be a you know, great year for star wars uh-huh it, it is because it's not just episode nine but um I think the Mandalorian is also coming next year, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Coming. Yeah, and all these books are coming out, and yeah, it's gonna be a great. Oh, also, Galaxy's Edge is gonna open at Disneyland and Disney World, so it's gonna be a great freaking year for Star Wars fans. And Clone Wars. It's gonna be a blast. Oh, Clone Wars is coming back, right? Andy and I are just watching Clone Wars, and we just got to watch the Morris arc, and my God, it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And I'm sorry it took us so long, but wow. <laughs> It's really great. If any of you have not seen Clone Wars, like, watch it. I, I know it's it's a bit boring at the beginning, I'm not going to lie, but 
once you hit season three, it's so good. It's so, so good. It's so worth it. So yeah, that's, that's it for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm just so, going yeah. to say that, okay, another thing before we start. Uh, yeah, Jeannie and I just had a Star Wars marathon, but like chronologically, and we had never done that uh, since Rogue One and Solo came out. So it, it was a blast. I, a lot of things changed in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. It was a fucking blast. Like, I had never enjoyed the prequels so much. Uh, <laughs> I tweeted about this, but, like, the fact that one year ago I was, like, so anti-prequel, I was like, no, the prequels suck, the prequels are garbage, and nothing good came out of them. And now one year later, I'm like, no, you know what? The prequels were trying to say something. They were aiming to do to and be something, and they did it. And maybe it's not well executed. It, it, it's deeply flawed, don't get me wrong, but I can appreciate the prequels for what they are right now. And I, I, to, I feel totally okay with it. And I'm just glad that I can enjoy the prequels now. And especially like now that we saw it, you know, back to back, it, it really pays off. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why. But watching them, because we watched them chronologically. So we started with The Phantom Menace and we ended with The Last Jedi. And you can see how the special effects have progressed and how... Uh, the storytelling is different in each trilogy and that Rogue One and Solo really stand out on their own and it's, it's really fascinating and I just, uh, I really want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to do that, look, preparing for episode 9 next year or something. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> yep. So I think that's it. I think we can move on to today's topic. <clears throat> And as we said, we recorded this months ago, but then, yeah, we, we had some trouble, so we're recording again. So right now we're going to talk about Raylo, of course, as always, but we're going to talk about mm-hmm. him on, and we're going to talk about the cinematic tropes and cinematic, I don't know, motifs that happen in movies in general in uh, throughout movie history that kind of lead, lead to Raylo. I don't know if I'm explaining myself, but some, some of these movies really have that Raylo feeling. It's something that we can point out and say, oh, this is how we can predict that Raylo will become canon because look at these couples in other movies that have gone through the exact same story bits that Raylo is going through. So, you know, this is kind of a, a look on Raylo through by um, movie, other movies' glasses. I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, you're totally making sense. Okay, yeah. so we actually have five parts to this episode is Beauty and the Beast, Phantom of the Opera, The Villainous, Crush Stroke, Enemies to Lovers, and Annie Dallas. So I'm really excited to talk about like all of this. <laughs> so <clears throat> without further ado, we better start. So the first part is Beauty and the Beast. And first of all, I just want to point out to Meta Machina's episode on Beauty and the Beast. It's fantastic. And I listened to it, I listened to it like two times in a row because I just loved it so much. And there's so much in it to grasp and to really absorb mm-hmm. and think about. So go listen to Mena Machina's episode on Beauty and the Beast. It's fantastic. And that really inspired us. It inspired me to talk about Beauty and the Beast um, and Raylo. So Beauty and the Beast is a tale as old as time. Oh. Sorry, that was cheesy. But it is a tale as old as time. It, it's based on a novel from like years, years ago, centuries ago. And it was made into a movie in 1946. And yeah, it's a, it's a story that's been told a lot of times on different media and most famously in Beauty and the Beast by Disney in 1992. So the gist of the story, as we all know, is, 
Oh, sorry, 1991. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> um, so the gist of the story is a beautiful maiden who ends up as a prisoner in a beast castle or, or lair. And at first they don't know how to deal with this beast because on the outside they're very rough, they're very animalistic and aggressive. But once they spend time with them, they start to realize that the beast is not really a beast. It's just the form that they take, but inside they're kind of these really broken souls with a lot of problems, but with also a lot of compassion and feelings. And so the maidens tend to empathize with the beasts in the end, and they end up falling in love with them. And that's the general story and in all of the Beauty and the Beast um, versions. And that's kind of what we are seeing with Raylo. I don't know what you guys think. What's your favorite um, Beauty and the Beast version that you've seen or read? Uh, well, I can... I can start with this because uh, Beauty and the Beast by Walt Disney Animation Studios is my favorite movie, uh, second favorite movie. Uh, but I also have a lot of respect for the Beauty and the Beast tale as well. And I actually really love the version of Jack Cocteau, if, if that sounds pretentious or something. Um, it's just a really well-made well movie by itself and it just, bring, it just broke a lot of ground in, in every aspect. And also, I think that is the version that is most most aligned with uh, Raylo and what we are talking about today. And I think that is because uh, of the kind of the subtitles in the in the themes that it manages. Uh, for example, uh, the cocktail version talks about, um, you know, the this maiden and mostly about her realization of her own identity and independence and it. And the things that she likes, maybe those things aren't as common as uh, other people's likings, and it may be, be and it may be odd. Uh, so it's kind of her se her sexual awakening in that kind of matter. Like the last episode, we talk about that in more depth. I think that's very interesting because you know, as a kid, I grew up thinking of Beauty and the Beast as just a tale about oh, don't judge a book by its covers. And it's definitely it, like it's there, but that's not everything. And that's not the only meaning that you can get from Beauty and the Beast. And definitely, uh, I totally agree with what you said that the original tale and the 1946 version are definitely more geared towards that, that other meaning that you're talking about, that it's not just about not judging a book, a book by its cover, but it's actually about the female lead and how the beast is actually a metaphor for all these kind of sinful and not correct <laughs> desires that a female can you know get that society deems like wrong but the the maiden ends up realizing that the those wishes those desires are not really wrong and they're part of her and they and she ends up coming to terms with that and embracing the darkness within her by embracing the darkness in the beast and that's basically the gist of Beauty and the Beast in that level. Um, and she, and I, it, yeah. And she wins because of that, because she embraced who she is, and she just ends up with a castle and a prince and a lot of yeah. jewels and stuff, so great. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and yeah, a handsome prince is always handy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I do really love that story, and I do think it relates to Raylo a lot. Like, you can totally see them hidden those story bits and like you know the coding of Kylo Ren 
with the cape, with the dark colors, with the aggressive attitude that has towards everyone except Ray, and Ray just being this kind of virginal woman, this girl who has never experienced the outside world, or she meets this monster, this beast, and how he literally awakens something in her. Like, it is very explicit in The Force Awakens that, yes, Ray was already Force-sensitive, but she was never able to actually use those abilities until she met Kylo and until she they were, you know, interacting with each other with the Force. And, you know, that's also, that's also a metaphor for the sexual awakening, but in, in Ray's case, it's the Force awakening in her, so that I think that's very clever. <laughs> And yeah, so fair. I don't know what you, what you, what your thoughts are on this. I don't know if I can add more that you will, you already said, but I just want to say that Evermore fits so well with Raylo. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, yeah. It's on, yeah. But but why is it Raylo? What 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 are the lyrics or why? I don't know. Just just because uh, it speaks about how. Who, who he met her, and how who he feels in love with her, and somehow he he says, yeah, maybe she can let me, but she is gonna be always with me in my hair. I don't know. I, I so, have the lyrics here. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. me too. I just pulled them up, and I do I do agree with you. Like when I saw that movie on on theaters, I was like, man, this is so rainbow. And I think the last year I had hadn't even come out at that point, or maybe had. I don't I don't remember. No, exactly. I hadn't. Yeah, but I do. I have a, um, a, an explicit memory of me thinking this. This is so right, though. <laughs> at okay. or at least very much Ben Solo. Yeah. Uh, there, there are some lyrics here that I think I don't know if these are the ones you said you're talking about, but this is now I know she'll never leave me even as she runs away. She will still torment. She will still torment me, call me, hurt me, move me, come what may. Wasting in my lonely tower, waiting by an open door, I'll fool myself, she'll walk right in and be with me forevermore. Oh, yeah, so okay. Cute. You can just see yeah, that like playing in, with, in, a, with in the, the proposal scene in The Last Jedi. Jedi. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like everything, that's also like the, the, the second verse goes like, I rage against the trials of love, I curse the fading of the light. Though she's already oh. flung so far beyond my reach, she's never out of sight. You know, force bond. Um, <laughs> she will still inspire me, be a part of everything I do. Um, yeah, so, like, you know, you know, of course this song wasn't written with a force bond in mind, but this is really, like, what a force bond must feel like between two people that have fallen out of, you know, each other's graces, you know. Ben still really much admires Rey and he wants her by his side, but Rey, at this point, after The Last Jedi, he ha she has literally closed the door on their relationship and their bond. And But I do I do think they're still force bonded. Like, I do think they still can feel each other's feelings throughout the galaxy. And this song is pretty much fits into that, that no matter if Rey has denied him and she has rejected his proposal and has closed the door on him, he can still pretty much feel her presence everywhere and can stop thinking about that. And I love that lyric of I curse the fading of the light. That's just the most Ben Solo thing I've read. And yeah, I do I and I do like the movie version with Dan Stevens, but I do think that 
there's also a version with Josh Groban that's beautiful as well. And yeah, I, I just want to throw all the awards at that song because it's the one saving grace of that movie. Because Josh Groban. Yeah. It also remember, remember me, uh, remind me, sorry, about the, I don't know what phrase is, it, I think it's in, I don't remember where it's the first, that say, said uh, the first one is not easily broken. Because it will left a uh, one. Uh-huh. I don't know what price was that, but it reminds it reminds me that you said it's even though uh it's no creator their bond is like a, now they are connected forever. Yeah. Now that I know she, <laughs> she'll never leave me, even though she runs away. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's yeah, a word much. where where the fourth one used to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so tragic. I, I just love it that we can that we can find Raylo in every version of the Beauty and the Beast. Because... Yeah, yeah, because the, because it is heavily you know inspired by Beauty and the Beast and these other tropes that have inspired Beauty and the Beast. The tropes that we will talk about when we talk about literary tropes, like the meeting and the monster husband and all these like other older tales that inspired the the story of Beauty and the Beast, and they're all connected to Raylo because they all have that one same you know ancestor yeah can i just say about uh, i don't think any of you have have watched the 2014 version of the uh, beauty the beast no i've always i wanted to ever since i read <laughs> i heard the meta machine episode but no i haven't yeah, i should I, I, I think my favorite part on that version is the beast uh, because they they have a lot of flashbacks when he was a prince and i think that is like the darkest i've seen him not darkest but like kind of sexier and <laughs> this kind of 21st century kind of anti-villain and I think that, that I don't know I wanted to talk about that because I think he embodies the beast even as a human and I think mm-hmm. that okay Kylo Ren is a human beast we can say <laughs> he, I don't okay. know. maybe that's a stretch <laughs> and I love that <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's definitely coded as a beast, like, definitely. At least on the outside. Well, uh, Alan Driver... That's what he wants to pretend he is. Alan Driver is a beast. <laughs> Let's not get into that. Oh my god, he has the size of one. Okay, stop. Whoa. <laughs> I deeply respect that man. <laughs> I love how every episode ends up being Alan first. <laughs> I don't know, I love it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Adam. We respect you as an actor and we love your work, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's also a Russian version, I think, a movie, a Russian movie of Beauty and the Beast. I don't remember the name, but it, the Beast is a uh, dragon in that version. And it looks very interesting, but I, have, I haven't, for the life of me, been able to find it on, online. So I'm really sad about that because I really want to watch it because it looks very cool. But what if you... like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you, I just, I was just gonna say that if you find a copy or a version that you can watch online of that movie, just definitely do because I, I have heard great things about about that movie. <laughs> but is it like it, it explicitly says it's Beauty and the Beast, but with dragons, or is it like a new story that's based on Beauty and the Beast? Well, it doesn't explicitly say so. I think it's just like Beauty and the Beast Dragon Edition, but it's you know it's the story <laughs> of this dragon that captures the maiden, the human maiden, and they end up falling in love, you know? So, yeah. Oh, okay. And the dragon also, like, he, he, it's not only a dragon, they 
he transforms into human from time to time. I think that, that the difference is that he's not really cursed, it's just that he goes and and comes from being a dragon to a human and yeah. Mm. I think there's something about how when she touches him, he turns into a dragon and that and it, it ends up with a lot of sexual tension because they can't touch each other because he ends up being becoming this monster that has no um mm-hmm. uh, you say reason. So he he can he can be really aggressive towards her in his dragon form. So the fact that they can't touch each other but they want to and they they're falling in love. I think I haven't watched it, but it it sounds like heaven to me. <laughs> NXT paradise. Okay, oh. so can we move on to the second monster? Yeah, let's move on to the yeah. second movie. And I will leave this one to Fair because she is a really big fan of this next one. So Fair, you wanna introduce it? Okay, Phantom of the Opera. I haven't seen the movie until this year. And was because of Raylo. So <laughs> When I see the movie, I found out uh, so many horrors in each scene. And one of that is that Eric, the phantom, mm-hmm. wants to be the uh, Christian teacher. And mm-hmm. what we see in, in The Force Awakens is that Kylo wants to be a race teacher. All, uh, all, the, all this time that he said, I can show you the ways of the Force, but he also said, he actually said, I could show you the other ways of the force. So he he go he kind of asking her to be uh-huh. his teacher, and I think that it's so cute. <laughs> oh wow! Um, other part that I see that I see as a problem between uh, well, the Raylo, the Phantom of the Opera, Eric is Eric Christine. Christine has a gift that made, makes her special in the movie. And that's like a, a parallel to Ray because Ray in the first is like a kind of intercede to the audience because she has a gift that is a force. And she discovers this because of, of Kylo until we have the intervention scene. So in somehow, I think like a Kylo feels like um. Mm, like um, like a kind of interesting in her because of the force, and the first one because they they have the the first first one in that scene. <laughs> no, I think you're totally correct, and I think that yeah, you can see that kind of power. I, I don't know, like it it's. It's more traditional with Eric and Christine, I think, but with Ray and Kylo, they kind of subvert that kind of, um, I don't know, like power dynamic, because mm-hmm. I think that Ray has a lot more agency than Christine. But oh, but mm-hmm. okay, Chris, Christine is is not such a damsel, in the stress as some people may think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think that that Ray and Kylo even more in the Last Jedi really, I don't know, really parallel these two. Just because, yeah, Ray is also like discovering other things and uh, seeing kind of the good in this quote-unquote monster that everybody is afraid of. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I totally see what you mean. Yeah, and after in the last year that she says she is afraid of this power, and I feel like it when she discovers she has a force, and she already know, but the the four 
or the first weekend is when uh -huh. she uh, knows Kylo, and she she also she recognizes this power because she says, well, it's been this power all this time, and now it's a weekend, and she feels like I related to Kylo because they are the only person in that moment that knows he has the force too. So mm -hmm. she kind of feels like a, attracted to him. And I feel like it, I, I haven't read the uh, the Force Awakens novelization, but I've, in that scene in, in the in the fight scene between them in the Force Awakens, I kind mm -hmm. of feel like a, she feels attracted to join him just because he's the only person who maybe can understand her. Uh-huh. No, I think yeah, she definitely thinks about joining him. I don't know if in The Force Awakens, but definitely in The Last Jedi, there's a moment, mm -hmm. I, I, I have to believe that there's a moment inside her mind where she kind of imagines, well, what if I do? What if I do join him? Like, you know, she's not going to do it, and she knows she's not going to do it because it's not the right thing, but mm -hmm. it definitely has crossed her mind what, what it would be like. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, I... I... Yeah. And I don't know, like Eric is a one is kind of the only person, let's say, that kind of gets Christine in that way. And also like like we were saying, like Ben is the only one that gets Ray in that way. And even though Christine is always praised and loved by others and oh my god, that she's a, such a great singer and she's I know like people like the idea of her nobody really knows her and that kind of tell, takes a toll on her and she actually it's it's kind of lonely and wants to you know have a real connection and she finds it in this real kind of beast of a man mm -hmm. and ray i just i just described ray <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sitting here like that that's so ray <laughs> and you know it makes sense because um ryan johnson has said on Twitter that she loves Phantom of the Opera. He absolutely adores the musical and he I remember this this tweet of him that that where he said something like if there's a chance to see Phantom of the Opera alive, I'm definitely going to see Phantom of the Opera alive. Like he goes every time that he can. So, you know, I cannot believe that he didn't let some of that uh, influence him. Influence him? No, that's uh, not right influence him? Influence I can't believe that he didn't let some of that influence him on writing The Last Jedi and, and tackling the railroad dynamic. And like even even subconsciously, I think he definitely wrote in some Phantom of the Opera tropes in them. And I do totally agree with you guys. Like for Christine and the Phantom, it's music, and for Kylo and Ray, it's the Force. This thing that bonds them together that nobody else truly gets and nobody else truly understands the way that they do. And they understand each other and they care about each other because of that. But in the eyes, for example, of their existence, Kylo is a monster. And in the eyes of everyone else, you know, at the opera, the Phantom is a monster and they are willing to protect Christine and Ray, respectively, from the monster, even though both of them really want to be with a monster. And it's really, really interesting and complex. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Both of yeah, them are, re are real. Sorry. No. Uh, because both the Phantom and Kylo Ren are both deeply, deeply flawed uh, people. But that doesn't mean they are essentially that 
they're all evil and they're that. Like this, this new person, this woman, it's helping them also. It's helping them to realize maybe they can be more and maybe they don't have to be what they, what the outsiders and the society tells them to be. And these kind of relationships, I think, yeah, for some reason, they've been around for so long. And there's a reason Ryan Johnson really likes the themes in Phantom. And there's a reason he wanted to put some of them and make them the core of his movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And also, um, I was going to say something and I completely forgot. Um... <laughs> Fair, you were going to say something, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I, you mentioned uh, Ryan Johnson, and I remember the Point of No Return scene. It looked exactly like the uh, the the room room red room scene. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like the visuals in in some of the scenes in the Last Jedi, like the hands like coming towards each other. Like the 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 man has this gloved hand, and they're reaching out to this really feminine and white hand. Like th those are like very very obvious parallels, and also the planetary yeah. joint scene that's like surrounded by fire, or you know, theatrical oh. fire because they're they're on on a stage, <laughs> and also the fact that Christine, for the longest time during the movie at least, she has her hair kind of tied up, and during the point of no return she has her hair down. The way that Ray in the third act of the Last Jedi, the second and third act of the Last Jedi, she has her hair in another, you know, different from their three bonds that she always has. She has she has her hair, you know, down. And that's also a, another parallel between them that I really oh, love. And I think I think my favorite moment in The Phantom and one that I can really connect to Raylo, and I do think that Fair has mentioned this before, is that lyric when Christine goes, Creature of Darkness, what kind of life have, what kind of life, I'm sorry, <clears throat> Creature of darkness, what kind of life have you known? I'm here to show you that you are not alone. She says something like that. And oh. like, there it is, you know, you're not alone. Neither are you. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And you know, the parallels cannot be more obvious. And yeah, uh, also, it definitely comes also from the fact that Phantom of the Opera is also one of those stories like Beauty and the Beast that come from these really ancient tropes and myths from the dead the, in the maiden and you know there's this um common ground that they all have that's why they hit some of these um very similar topics you know the monster that wants to be seen as something else and only this maiden gets to see that you know i think phantom and beauty and the beast really are connected like that and it's really really interesting it just adds another level to how possible and canon Raylo may actually be yeah, and, and it's, I think the most important thing that we most, well, one of the most important things that we most note about these two stories and about Raylo is that uh, the Beast character, like the monster character, uh, yeah, is indeed attracted to the Maiden character, but the Maiden character uh, has a similar, or if not bigger, like kind of, it, it's more drawn to the, to the Beast character as well. It's not just like, this thing that wants to control this fragile little girl is also Christian is also reaching for her sexual awakening in a sense. And yeah, no, I think that, that's why yeah? that's Sorry. why of the reasons 
that's one of the reasons that a lot of women are really drawn to these stories and men are like why why do you like it so much you just like (laughs) dip in my dip in myself i think you just hit a bullseye with us sorry (laughs) i think just i think you just hit a bullseye with that because it's definitely like female coded and female gazing stories you know from beauty and the beast like it's a deeply female story and i that's why you know some men will jump to the opportunity to call stockholm i'm sorry stockholm syndrome on bell you know mm-hmm. or or beauty you know oh no that's that's stockholm syndrome like there's no way that a girl like her could fall in love with someone you know like the beast because they are unable to see further into it and realize that they're not in love with them because they're beasts. They're in love with them because there's so much more than that and people cannot see it. And, you know, Belle and Ray and Christine, all these characters have in common that they are deeply compassionate. And that compassion is what attracts them to the beast slash monster slash phantom slash Kylo Ren. Um, <laughs> and that's what they all have in common. And I think that's, I think it's a beautiful story because it's, yes, it is female empowering, but it's not, it's not like they are diminishing female um, attributes, like being compassionate, like having feelings, like listening and being sympathetic towards others. Those are very, you know, what society has claimed as female traits. Mm-hmm. And I love about the stories that they do not, um, demonic, they, they, they don't, and for another word, for the lack of another word, they don't shit on those traits. <laughs> They're not saying like this is not being a woman. This is this is like old women, like new women need to be powerful and strong, and they don't need a man. And they are those women. things, and they are all of those things, but because of their they, compassion. They, yeah, but they don't. Yeah, exactly. They don't need to sacrifice their more feminine qualities about them. And in the end, it's those female feminine qualities that help them save the day. I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, <laughs> but no. I think that's what, what they all have in common and why women gravitate toward this story so much. I love this kind of topics. <laughs> yeah, I love them. I, I, I do like when I whenever I talk about this, I'm like, man, the sequel trilogy is really targeting women and you know, we're living in a woman's world and you know the men are just allowed to enjoy the sequel trilogy if they want to. But this is this is a female story. If uh, they want to, this is the no. heel I'm gonna die in. <laughs> no, yeah, the, all kinds of people can enjoy the sequel trilogy, like the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. But yeah, this this is finally like catering to another audience that they did before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I do. I do think it makes a lot of sense, even from a marketing standpoint, because I I read some article lately. I don't remember where, but I read that you know. Lucasfilm knew that they already had the male demographic. Like they, they were gonna go see Star Wars no matter what because they already they grew up with them, and the original trilogy, the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, really catered towards them. So their new goal was to bring the women in. And here comes Adam Driver, and he comes straight <laughs> as a character, being the female lead of the trilogy. And you know you get this bomb of you know. You know, that's why girls like us, women like us, have really found a new love for Star Wars ever since the sequel trilogy came out because it is definitely more geared towards women and our likings and the stories that we want to see. And, you know, female fantasies, basically not male fantasies like Luke Skywalker, but, you know, female fantasies like Rey and Raylo and all of those 
good things that we love about the sequel trilogy and I think <laughs> it, it makes a lot of sense in a lot of levels so yeah I'm really excited I'm really happy that Star Wars and the sequel trilogy exists oh, yeah can I just say like to close on the Phantom on the yeah. Phantom of the Opera that I think the the visual that I don't know that is more that embodies more Phantom and of the Opera is in the Force Awakens with the Brother Curry because he is literally a creature in a mask and is carrying these women in light colors and I, I've seen that kind of portrayal and painting of the Phantom and Christine in a lot of parts and I just thought okay this is this is a direct throwback to Phantom. Yeah, and the Phantom is a direct throwback to Dead and the Maiden, which, <laughs> yeah. again, is this old ancient trope. And yeah, it's all connected, folks. It's all connected. <laughs> it rhymes. It okay. rhymes. It, it does, it Cinematic does. poetry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I think that's all we can say about Phantom of the Opera. Uh, also, just another note, um, I swear to God, Meta Machina does not pay me for this, but they did an amazing <laughs> Phantom of the Opera episode, and I loved every single bit of it. It's hilarious, it's so fun, and you should go check it out because they are brilliant and they talk about Phantom of the Opera for like two hours, so like, what else do you need? <laughs> okay, so we can move on to the next topic, and I think this Andy will take this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the next topic is, it's a short one, uh, because we're just going to talk about a trope, that is the villainous crush, crush trope. This is this is started as a TV trope, but you can trace it to literature and, fil- and film and all kinds of uh, things like anime, or like anime and manga, and in animation and all that kind of stuff. And so it's just self-explanatory. The villainous crush trope is, sorry, <clears throat> uh, when the villain of the story or the bad guy of the story uh, has a, takes a liking to the hear to the hearing of the story, and this. Uh, can be a good thing, can be a bad thing, can be something in between, and do not need to remain the same way throughout the whole story. It can change and it can evolve to something else. And some of the the kind of more mainstream examples for this is Catwoman and Batman, Catwoman being the villain. Uh, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, taking a liking to Belle, that is definitely just a villain, uh, like a straight-up villain. Same way it is with Frollo to Esmeralda, which has a lot of sexual and creepy things that yeah. maybe kind of uncomfortable to talk about. Um, but yeah, this this doesn't mean it has to be just a totally evil bad guy and a totally sweet, innocent good uh, good quote-unquote good girl on on the story and the uh, another example is Ribner to Lisa in Red Eye and I I, I like it that some of the examples that I can think about are Megamind in with Roxanne in the movie in the movie Megamind yeah and yeah this is just yeah, this is just like a kind of trope that has been evolving throughout the times. And I don't know, it's like, I, like I said before, maybe the, the villain is a straight villain and maybe he is becoming an anti-hero. And this, this trope normally evolves to the enemies to lovers trope or, the, or even the love redeems trope, which we all kind of like. Also, yeah. another 
Another example of this in animation is Lothar from to Alura in Voltron Legendary, Legendary Defender. I'm don't just going to, to say that. Voltron. Please no, don't I won't. Voltron. No, I can't. <laughs> I won't. Don't worry. And yeah. Forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we'll can I just some, throw... some other examples? I don't know if examples because I I do think that the some of the examples that I can come up with will also fall into the next. Uh, topic that we have, which is enemies to lovers. Okay. Um, um, so I don't know if I can add any more of that, but I do really love the trope and I find it extremely fascinating because it can take so many forms. Like you said, uh, the villainous crush trope can end badly and can be a very bad thing. It could be, you know, the villain just wanting to possess the hero in a very bad way, in a very creepy way, in yeah, in a non-healthy way. But I do think that at its best, the villainous crush trope ends up being a very hopeful trope because it it, it takes uh, a character that has, of course, some issues. It has a lot of trouble in their past, and of course, they have done bad things, but they end up finding this really humane thing inside of them that finds a liking and can't help but being attracted to this beacon of light, which is the hero or the heroine in the good side. And I do think that that gives the villain so much depth and so much complexity. And it can be very interesting to see that develop if it develops well, because as you said, it can lead to an enemies to lovers trope, or it can be how it can be a way for the anti-hero or the villain with a crush to redeem them themselves and of course tying it back to Raylo, this is what we want to see. Like we want to see the villain's crush job but at its best, not at its worst, which is I think what some people tend to see Raylo as like the villain's crush but the bad side. And of course that's not the Raylo that we ship and that's not the the Raylo that we claim. The Raylo that we claim is the villain's crush job at its best, which ends up uh, with hope, with love, with redemption. And I think that's the path that we all want for Ben and for Ray, of course, because they are both like so similar because they're both lonely and they're both very powerful and they don't have anyone else that really gets them in their life. And they have been really pushed around by the world, but they can find this like common ground and they have this really humane thing that binds them together. And in the end, I really like the story of a villain or a bad guy, an anti-hero who can find their way back home. And that's just all I want for Ben Solo in episode nine. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Fair, you have anything to add? Any examples that you can go up with? Um, I use a lot. I, I don't have any example on this <laughs> But I can say that I love um, the dynamic between Ray and Kyla because uh, they didn't decide to be enemies. This just uh, happened because the circumstances. And because Ray was a deep with the resistance, just was because of being and she has to uh, go with this adventure with him. But she didn't decide to go. Like uh, you can say, she wants to be in Jakku. <laughs> so uh, she she didn't decide to be. Uh, his enemy, but just happened, and it's something that I found is like interesting is that when they are obligated to uh, meet each other, to know each other because of the first one, 
they really like like each other mm -hmm. and they're they have uh, more things in common than they know so if maybe if he, if he they really know in another circumstances maybe the story will be totally different and it's something that I think sometimes <laughs> and yeah it's kind of tragic too no, yeah, that is such a great point. I know it makes you think about maybe if circumstances were different, maybe they they could have had a, a different story, and maybe they they will still like each other and they will still fall in love with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, I really I... like it. Sorry. No, you go ahead. Um, I just thought that I like that this is kind of the first step to the enemies to lovers and the love redeems trope but i also like that this is the first step to blurring sometimes is blurring the lines between between bad guy and good guy and between evil and good you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely because like it really is a way to show that you know there is dark in everything that has light and there's light in everything that that has darkness, you know, you, there's, that is the yin and yang, you, you can have complete light and you can have complete dark, there's always some bit of the other inside. And that's and, Star Wars, Star Wars is balanced. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and another thing that I was going to say is that I really do agree with Fer and I really think she brought up a really good point that, you know, neither Ray or Kylo, I mean, or, or Ben are really tied to the ideology of mm -hmm. their sides, you know. I think Ray is just really with the resistance because it's the first group of people that have given her a home and have given her the acceptance that she really craves. But she's not really the resistance because she believes in the cause, you know. The way that Finn has learned to to make the cause his own uh, in the course of The Last Jedi, I don't think Ray has done that yet. I think she's not really full part of the resistance because she doesn't share the common goals that they have, you know. If if Poe and Ray end up, you know, having some interactions in Nine, I think it's gonna be a good sense of conflict between them because mm -hmm. Ray is not committed to the cause. She's committed to to um, bring bringing peace to you know the galaxy. That's of course something that she wants, but she's there for so much more than that. She's there to find herself. And on the other side, I don't think Kaido is really tied to the ideology of the First Order. Again, it's the only place that has given him some sort of home, even if in his case, it's not really a home because it's a really toxic environment. But it's the closest thing that he has ever felt to having a home because he had Snoke who looked after him in a really horrendous way. But, you know, yeah. you gotta do you ha what you have to do with what you have. And, yeah, he's not really really tied to the First Order. And I think it's really interesting because now he's the Supreme Leader, but he's not really, you know, <laughs> he's not Hux, you know. Hux is really, really committed to the cause. And that's why he probably will stay to COVID-9. So, mm -hmm. like, it's really interesting because, as Farah was saying, you know, maybe in another life, like, they didn't have to be enemies. They, they're not enemies because they, they don't, shared it ideologies are just enemies because they found themselves on opposite sides of a war but that doesn't mean that they themselves personally have some kind of ideology difference you know mm -hmm. yeah and, and also 
and I remember the Ryan Johnson and it's also in the script that now there are complicated enemies because mm -hmm. there is what more can be complicated in, in a relationship between enemies that are the feelings they have for each other. So I just think about that they they, they have now something though that is very hard to to explain now because we don't know we don't know but we already know that it's they love each other. But <laughs> that's the reason because it makes a complicated relationship because now they say, wait, well, wait said, now I will resist and you are the supreme leader. Wait, we, we know we have this kind of connection and that's why we are complicated. So Jason Fry, the um, the author of the the last Jedi conversation, has tweeted about this a couple of times. But uh, the, the fact of the matter is that we really cannot understand what the relationship between Ray and Ben is like because they have seen each other's thoughts and they have gone into each other's souls. Basically, they don't have any secrets, you know, with each other. They can't because they can literally see what the other sees and they can see their past, they can see their future. And that's something that we will never have. We cannot for even if. For, with your your spouse, your best friend, your mom, your dad, you cannot have that because you will never truly get into their mind and you will never really understand them on that level that Ray and men have. So he says something about how the closest thing that we have to that kind of relationship is a romantic relationship, but it's even more it's even more than that. And it's something that we cannot put in a box and we can't really define because we will never have that. So... Mm -hmm. He really made a good point. Like he was like, ah, he really didn't say that he was a railo or that he was a railo. <laughs> but he said he was a railo. <laughs> but but yeah. didn't he? But you know that's what he said that he really cannot think of something that can be closer to their relationship that than a romantic relationship. Like it's a totally valid read. And yeah, that's it. I really like. I really like that he kind of. He kind of said that Rayla is canon, but not really. Like, don't don't <laughs> at me. Really, literally, don't <laughs> at me. That oh my god, he he literally said don't at me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we can move on to the free for all. Yeah, free for all. Woo. Yeah, it's a really fun one. Like the next one is of course the beloved enemies to lovers. And uh, first of all, I just want to mention that Shy from Meta Machina made a great um, poll competition. Uh, about you know favorite tropes and she had different um stages you know she first like had two options and then the winner of that went against another one brackets. you know that kind of thing yeah brackets and at the end it was enemies to lovers the winner of overall because of it's such a it's a delicious trope i don't know what else how else to put it but it's so it's so juicy there's so much to talk to talk about from this <laughs> so I don't know if you, any of you want to say something about it or do I? Uh, I'm happy with just starting with this. Okay. So you do or do I? Mm, you the first, like the first. <laughs> the first. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Enemies to Lovers is just as straightforward as the name says. It's um, a couple of enemies who end up who what find themselves on different sides, you know, of, of either a war, a conflict, or something of that kind, that end up developing a relationship, you know, that transforms into be, trans, it transforms from this really, um, how do you say? Well, yeah, it transforms from being enemies, from being 
conflicted with each other to starting to understand each other to kind of starting developing feelings about each other and then falling in love. in love that's the that's the stages of enemies to lovers and boy boy i have shipped enemies to lovers uh, <laughs> even before i knew what a ship was or what enemies to lovers was i think the first one that that i ever shipped was kobo and kiara from the lion king 2 i think we all we all did i mean every, every girl that watched that movie shipped Kobo and Kiara so like we all kind of have an enemies to lovers fangirl inside of us um and yeah but just like Kobo and Kiara there are so many examples out there and why do you think it's such a, a, a popular trope like why is it that people gravitate towards it you know it really won on a landslide in Shai's you know poll so like why is it uh, well I think it's it's just because it's one of those tales that are that are all as old as time, and I think one of the things that make me like this trope a lot is just because you, it's not so easy to find in real life, you know, because when when you are kind of an enemy, you have kind of an enemy, you normally don't resolve that, and I think that is what drives me to it because of the forgiveness and even having like different ideologies or being in, a, in different sides, you, you can go, you end up on the most like passionate and most deep of all feelings and to the complete opposite of when you were from the start. And that is so rare to find. And yeah, because for me, it's kind of a deeply fictional kind of narrative and and a dream or desire or something and I think it's because it's been it's been with it's been with us for a long time I mean since Romeo and Juliet and before that yeah yeah exactly I think the quintessential enemies to lovers would be Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. um and Romeo and Juliet kind of really um, parallel um, Ray and Kylo, not not completely, but at least uh-huh. on the fact that we were talking about earlier about how they're really not enemies because they they don't agree ideologically. They're just enemies because you know, in the case of Roman Juliet, they were born into the conflict. They didn't yeah. create it, and it was not something that they agreed on. You know, and, and it's not fair, also. Yeah, also it's really really not fair. Like the point of Roman Juliet is how. The conflict between families really ended up on the tragedy of their children dying and when they could have just solved the the conflict with these children you know falling in love and just call it a day and being like okay conflict's over we're going home and <laughs> so I, I do agree with you that the reason that so many of us find this trope so interesting is that really we cannot put this into a real life world experience because it is very difficult and, you know, there are, you know, real-life villains and real-life enemies that you cannot develop that kind of relationship. Yeah. But that's the point of fantasy, and that's the point of fiction, that you can take these, these stories and really um, write and create a, a sort of a series of situations that lead into the, the falling in love that feels real, that feels that it makes sense, and in the end, it's just a way to show you to show the 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 themes of forgiveness and love and hope. And of course, it's really hard to find that in real life. 
so I do think it's not fair to kind of wanting to put, you know, ships like Raylo and Sutara in a real life world um, experience because it's not fair because real life is not fiction and fiction is meant to be just a way for us to find some cathartic experiences. <laughs> and that's what fiction is and, you know, yeah. No, but for me, for me, that's inspiring because, like we said, it's so difficult to find it in real life. But I don't, I don't know, like the morals behind, I don't know, forgiving your enemy and coming to terms and find that common ground and find balance are just. I I think those that is what we need right now, and that is what we need as as a society and as humanity and all that stuff and. This this is a trope that I don't know that gets it all. I just love it so much. Yeah. What do you think, Fer? Yeah. I, um, yeah. I really think about the what Gina said. Uh, um, how I love this trope. It, I think it's one of the most interesting trope of all of them because it has all these feelings and also you have the sexual tension. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I swear, in every show you have of animals to lovers, there's always sexual tension because you have all yeah. these feelings, passion, hate, and like you like it, but you hate them, and, and it's so much. And you feel uh, the sexual tension between it. I think, I don't know if it's for my age, or I don't know, but I kind of <laughs> like that trope in this moment. No, and yeah. I same. think it's one of the most interesting in all the tropes because. Yeah, I can I kind of find boring like the friends to lovers or yeah, lovers lovers. Those I I don't know. I just think very interesting and um yeah I think that's <clears throat> that's what I need us is to like forgive our enemy and love him, not just in a romantic uh, form in all the all the ways. Uh, is to to learn to forgive our enemy because uh, I just read in a. That I remember in a film in film Robert Smith that but the rose the phrase that Rose says when she kisses uh Finn is uh um I forgot how how you call it is uh, that's what that's how we gonna say no hide away what we yeah that's 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 how we're gonna win not fighting what we hate saving what we love yeah exactly. That's that's uh, made me think about that meta that what actually is gonna you're gonna with the the war is no with hate it's with love because you're gonna forgive your enemy and finally like find a balance in all these these kind of ideologies that they have the first order and the resistance and I think it's interesting that we actually breathe, can bring that to the real world in our society mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it's one of the best quotes um, from the the Star Wars saga, like completely. I I just quote that every single day in my head, like, not fight what what you hate, say what you love. And I think it's it's a beautiful quote. And I do agree with you about the sexual tension thing. Like, it's one of the most interesting <laughs> parts of the trope. Like, not, <laughs> I don't know. It's really interesting the ideology and the the transformative love kind of thing but also the sexual tension is just really really interesting and it's really nice and and fun to see play out on screen mm -hmm. um, um i think andy was going to say something and i interrupted 
Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, well, <clears throat> I'm going to follow what, what you're saying and then I'm going to get back to my point. Um, I think we like conflict and we like the conflict in our ships and we like difficulties and obstacles. So yeah. when the good parts arrive, they are so much sweeter. And and yeah, like you never see me gushing as as I do for for a couple that spend like half half of their interactions bantering and kind of hating each other. Finally, case uh, you you that is just like the 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 top of the mountain for me. I just love it so much. You you will never see me screaming and crying as much for a couple that just from the moment they met they just liked each other. You know. Because of the conflict, of the conflict, yeah. and I think we have that in common. And to follow what what we were saying about that quote, yeah, I, I actually that that is my favorite startup quote of all time. I I I tried to live by it since since I heard for for the first time one year ago, and because I just find it so powerful that love is so much stronger than hate because. The, the passion and the strength that love gives you and the drive that, that it brings you is just so much powerful that that the greatest of hate can can ever give you, you know? And that is yeah. that is another theme of Star Wars that I think the that it will it will get so I don't know how to phrase it, like it will be so obvious and it will be so engraved in our minds that that is a theme if Ray and Ben do end up together. And that's why I like this pairing because it's just, it's just, it makes sense for Star Wars, you know? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were saying about uh, how we enjoy conflict, but uh, yeah, definitely, like, without conflict, there's no story. That, that's screenwriting 101 right there. <laughs> like, you need to have a conflict to have story and that's that's just the basics of storytelling and when you find that on a couple like it's a micro universe you know and to find a couple that will play on screen this kind of game you know of of trying to find a common ground Mm -hmm. and that being the conflict of the relationship i think it's just fascinating and no matter how many times i see it on screen i will never get tired of it and (laughs) I do have, in the last year, I have developed kind of an aversion towards friends to lovers because I just don't enjoy that trope anymore. I just rewatched the um, Kim Possible movies recently. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as a kid, I kind of just glanced over that, glanced over it. But when I saw Ron and Kim getting together, like, I just didn't feel it. You know, I wasn't happy about it. I was just like, "Eh, I guess. And I don't know, because Friends to Lovers just seems to, it seems too easy. It seems like, uh, really? <laughs> like, if something were to happen, why, why didn't it happen before, you know? And exactly. But I remember that I, when I was a kid, okay, maybe before Ko and Kiara were at the same time, I really liked Jimmy Neutron and Cindy, just because oh, they, they had yeah. like a bad relationship at the beginning, and they just like became friends, and then... They loved each other and all that stuff. I, I don't know. I, I got I I loved this trope since I was a kid. You yeah. I, you can blame Disney and Nickelodeon for that. Yeah, I think there's also like a difference between you know enemies to lovers and like friends who venture who then become lovers. Oh, yeah. Because 
uh, some people tend to um, do not get those confused because, for example, I've seen some people online calling Ron and Hermione enemies to lovers because they they didn't get along in the beginning. But I'm like, no, those are friends to lovers. They just had they just bantered a lot, but it's not like they were enemies. It's not like they were conflicted. It's not you know something like that. It's, like don't bring, you know, don't bring me banter, bring me hate. Yeah, yeah, it's like <laughs> complete, like deep rooted hate, or like something like really <laughs> bigger than 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 either of them. You know, like with Ray and Kylo, like it's not that they really hate each other to the core, but they have this bigger thing going on. That, I don't think that they hate them. No, I don't. No, 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 definitely. I don't think they ever hated each other. Like maybe Ray at some point, but. That was before she really get to, got to know him, so she didn't really hate him. She hated Kylo Ren, so yeah. Mm-hmm. She, she hates so, Kylo Ren, she doesn't hate Ben. She, she wants yeah. to hate, hate him, but she can't. Oh, yeah. that, is another, <laughs> that is another thing about Beauty and the Beast and Beauty, Dead and the Maiden and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, so what I was going to say, like, I just want, I want to get to the point, you know, Ron and Hermione are not enemies to lovers just because they ventured, you know, who really would be enemies to lovers? Draco and Hermione. And hear, hear me out, hear me out. Draco and Hermione were just, if they were canon, it would have been the most powerful thing and it would have fit completely with the core and the theme of Harry Potter because Draco grew up in a family, in a really kind of an abusive, not really abusive, but toxic family because uh, his father was a dead No, it was abusive, I guess, I, I think. I mean, not really... Yes, in some level from Lucius' um, side, but I think Narcissa really loved him and he, she really cared about him. So he, he kind of had both of those. But, you know, his household was really toxic. His family was really toxic because they were, of course, um, loyal to uh, Lord Voldemort. And Lucius, of course, just wanted, he would have done anything to be on Voldemort's good side. And you know they and they they raised Draco with that mentality, and mm-hmm. Draco didn't deserve that. I think Draco really throughout the series really showed that he was more human than what his parents wanted him to be, and I just really get really really frustrated with Harry Potter right now because to think of what a beautiful arc for Draco it would have been if at the end of Deadly Hallows Part Two in the movies uh, he would have said no when Voldemort uh, offered, you know, the hug to him. He could have just stood up and be like, Please no, say no. Like, this is wrong. Like, this is wrong and I'm standing here with my school and my classmates and my professors. If, if he would have ha- had that, you know, turn of heart, I would have really loved it. I think the redemption arc for Draco Malfoy was set up, but it was never completed and it's really frustrating. And, the, and to top it all off, if he would have ended up with Hermione, whom she he called her uh, mudblood at the very beginning of the series, and that's like a slur. That's something that it's so 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 bad for him to have done that, and he really should have learned from that, which I don't think he ever did. And he and never apologized. So, he never apologized, and he it just would have been so powerful to see that dynamic play off. Like to for for him to kind of understand that he was more than what the Malfoy family was. And to find that through Hermione, who is just the embodiment of everything that his family hates. And you just would have been so, so, so powerful. And I'm really, really mad that J.K. Rowling never had the balls to do that. And I just, 
yeah, I, I started shipping Dramani, Dramani also um, mm-hmm. when I read the books, not because of the movies. Like, I totally get if you just see the movies and you like Drake and Hermione, that, that doesn't make any sense. But truly, believe me, if you read the books, I think there are some some details there that really kind of point you towards being like, well, what, what would have happened if Draco had found, you know, this common ground with Hermione and if mm-hmm. she would have helped him get out of that abusive and toxic environment. And I think that's what needs to happen with, with Ben and, and Ray. So like I'm forever gonna be better that Hermione was never canon. Also Sutara, which was right there, oh, and I, I don't was know about why to say it didn't that. You know, what other what other pairing was so obvious, but they didn't take it because they were cowards. Lotto and Alura. Oh, oh no, I was going to talk about Sutara, but yeah, oh, that, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, 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 <laughs> definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Lotto and Alura are also also kind of like Sutara, but badly written. Yeah. So, um. <laughs> But, you know, that's the thing that I don't like about Avatar The Last Airbender. I think it's the most uh, perfect TV show that you can find. So but the fact that they went with a boring friends to lovers. And the hero gets the girl the, because she's yeah. surprised. Yeah, I don't like I don't I don't like the implications of Aang ended up ending up with Katara because first of all, throughout the series he was always like repeated once and, and again and again and again that Katara was a mother figure. With, to the group. She was a, a mother figure to her brother and Aang and Toph. And and from the very interaction with Zuko, you knew that he that they were more on, a, on the same level than Aang and Katara, and Katara ever were. I don't know if that makes any sense, but you know, at the end to have her end up with Aang, it was just the most boring, predictable thing they could have done. It wasn't really, it wasn't really set up that well because if you wanted to have that, relationship you know pay off you need to have more interactions romantic interactions between them and just having them kiss is not really a romantic interaction if if all they do is kiss if there's no build up to that and instead Zuko and Katara have a lot of will build up to that moment that never came from the moment I think it's in in book three I don't remember the name of the character but this one I think she was a bounty hunter or something she was like she called Katara Suka's girlfriend, and they both blush, and they're like, no, they're not my boyfriend, she's not my boyfriend, she's just not my girlfriend, and they were so flustered, and it was, like, so cute, and, um, oh, the very, the very end of the series is Suko taking a lightning for Katara, so, please, oh my god, will that be a problem in nine? You just said something was going to happen in nine. Oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> wow, I would love that. Um, okay, we. I think we can talk about another, another kind of this appearance uh, that actually worked out. Okay. Uh, well, this movie is kind of flawed, but it's really important for Star Wars because this movie is also made by George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars, and the themes and the morals he has, he puts it in all of his movies. And I'm talking about Strange Magic. So Strange Magic is an animated movie that, I don't know, which, which year did it come out? I think it was 2014 or 15. I'm not really sure. Let me look it up and I'll go back to you, but you go on. Yeah, and the thing about this is that it's kind of, it's kind of like a similar setup to Star Wars because it's just like, the good, the good side and the bad side. You have I don't remember 
the names exactly, but it's a forest, it's a fantasy, and you have the good fairies that are on the light side, and you have these creatures are kind of insects, and and they live on the dark side of the forest, and you have the Buck King, who is the, the bad guy, the big villain, and you have Marianne, who is a princess, a fairy princess, that um, she used to be really, like, Mm, I, I don't know, she used to be really naive, but then she got cheated on and she just hates romance and all the stuff. Uh, but it is important uh, to talk about this one because uh, even though this story it's not the greatest, it does end up with an enemies to lovers and, and that's, it ends up happily and it's Marianne and the Bucking, they end up together. Like the big, big big bad guy that he he isn't even like attractive or anything he's just a regular traditional fairy tale bad guy he's a straight up monster he's a straight yeah, up like, monster he's insects. ugly he yeah and they end up together because the power of love and all that stuff and i yeah it is important because it is just lucas and even though george lucas didn't uh didn't doesn't control the sequel trilogy at all um like, yeah, it, it shows that these are some of the topics that he's interested about. And he put some of those in, he put some of those on Star Wars and all the the other Star Wars properties that he had worked on, had worked on such as Clone Wars and stuff. And so, yeah, I think it's kind of a good foreshadowing. And I don't know, it's like, I, I'm hopeful. For Rilo, yeah. when you when I think about this movie, yeah, me too. Um, the, it, it came out in 2015, by the way. I just looked it up, and apparently it's just the land of the fairies and the dark forest. That's just what okay. it's called. <laughs> okay. um, so yeah, I totally agree with you, and I'm really glad that uh, you brought up Strange Magic. Um, I know you really, really didn't enjoy the movie, and you know, I don't it's a really bad movie. didn't enjoy. I just didn't like. <laughs> yeah, that. Um, like. I enjoyed it. I know. I know. Listen, 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 listen. I know it's bad. If you see it, you're gonna be like, "What the fuck is this crap?" Because you know, it's a musical, but it's a jukebox musical, which means that it takes already famous songs, pop songs, and they kind of shoehorn in them into the story, and they make like really bad covers. So that's why it really doesn't feel like really you can't really connect with the story because. Every five seconds, you're reminded, oh, yeah, this is a movie because you're listening to Kelly Clarkson song or, you know, something like that. But after all that, if you look more into it, I do think I agree with Andy that because George Lucas is the mind behind this movie, you can really see the themes that have carried on into all of his projects and the fact that this movie, that is a movie that he really wanted to make for his dollars. Um it really revolves around this uh, female character falling in love with someone who is a monster in the eyes of everyone. And the monster who falls in love even after he was hurt himself as well. And I think it's a a beautiful story. I think it's a really cool um, way to do it with fairies and like a very fantastical setting. and I do, it really does give me hope also because to think that this comes from the same mind that came up with Star Wars and to know that Lucasfilms is always going to try to live up to what George Lucas intended when he first wrote A New Hope, 
I think it really does say a lot that an enemy is to lovers. <coughs> Sorry, it does say a lot that an enemy is to lovers. A uh, couple cannot can can be happy and can be and can end up together. You know, without it being problematic or whatever. You know, like <laughs> oh, he kidnapped his sister, whatever. Uh, yeah, but he ended up, you know, redeeming himself. It's not like she fell in love with him because he he kidnapped his sister you know she <laughs> fell in love with him because she Ghost. saw something in him yeah ghost she saw something in him something else that not even him saw in himself and it's just a really nice story and i think it it's it's really a good setup for raylo so if you ship raylo and you haven't seen Cinch Magic, I strongly <laughs> recommend it. Uh, like, you know, get ready to cringe a lot, but it, it's <laughs> a nice story. Have you seen, have you watched that, Fer? Yeah, Free Magic? Yeah. 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 You was uh, <laughs> an experience. <laughs> it truly was. Yeah, it's but, definitely. Yeah, I, I do it for, for Rayla, so it's okay. But yeah, if I... I like that, and the in the end, kind of the unites or their love unites the two forests, the bad forest and the good forest. And I feel like it kind of the episode nine will do the same because I just think understood troopers who I think they are good, but they are like racing, like it to be bad, and like a Finn is gonna be part of that of that story with the stone troopers. And I feel like uh, on the end when they they found the balance. Uh, you know, these two two sides, the the first order and the resistance, gonna unite. So I like to think it's gonna happen in the episode. Nine. Yeah. It's a good ending. Yeah, definitely. It would really close the saga in a really nice, nice, really neat bow because it was really, it would really bring the whole thing together. You know, finding yeah. balance and finally, you know, tearing down this. Um, idea that the light needs to overpower the dark when in reality they need to coexist with each other yeah do you know why else would it be uh, a nice ending and it will wrap everything up well <laughs> because of the one the person who started it all and well the two people who started it all padme <laughs> and anakin <laughs> okay yeah Okay, I see where you're going with it. Yeah, yeah. So we can move on to that. We can move on to the next section. Uh, just, just to wrap the the episode. Uh, of course, the last thing that we want to bring up, of course, is Anidala, and this is a theory that has been running running around in Royal of Circles ever since the the Force Awakens came out. Um, some people um, think that Rey and Kylo are actually, you know. Um, Padme and Anakin reincarnated, and I don't fully support that. But there are some of some of us, you know, that think that it's not that they're reincarnations of Padme and Anakin, but they are kind of um, they're following, you know, the this this for a lack of, of a better term, this circle of life, you know, of make them making the same mistakes and then but learning from the past. And you know they are basically going through the Anidala story, but in reverse. And I just find that so fascinating. So, any of you guys want want to start on that one? Your thoughts and why people think that Rey and Kylo are Padme and Anakin in reverse? Fair. 
Are you seeing um what you're saying that the the storytelling is like it's so obvious when with Raylo, that's how it's gonna end. But I just think uh, how tragic, how tragic is the story of Raylo? How tragic it starts, and you like it's so sad. It it it, it, it ends with a tragic ending. Uh, and how innocent and how like how innocent and romantic it, it starts Anidala, and how tragic it becomes. It just made me think about that, how tragic it starts Raylo. And like, it's obvious it's gonna be a happy ending because mm -hmm. it's like, a, as you say, the first circle and mm -hmm. not making the same mistakes that did uh, Padme and, and, well, Anakin more than Padme. Uh -huh. <laughs> no, I actually, uh, uh, some weeks ago, I just saw an image that it followed Anakin's journey and it, it literally, it literally is Ben's journey about on rivers. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. If if you too. count the if you count the death of Leia, it will it will go onto that. But if if it doesn't, it, it's still just a really really like just in your face parallel. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. Like what first says that Anidala starts off being really cutesy and and naive and and you know, innocent, and then it develops into into this really, really dark place where they're on opposite sides, and Anakin literally goes, like, you and I can rule the galaxy together and bring new order to a new empire and things like that, and the way that it ends is just so tragic, and when you look at Rey and Kylo, they start at that point. It's, it's, Kylo's already on the dark side. Uh, something that it took Anakin like three movies to get to. Uh -huh. Kylo's already there. So his story kind of starts in the middle of Anakin's and it's just a completely reverse. You know, it, it's, it's actually kind of funny to look at it because it's like this poor boy, um, he, in the first awakens, he's like, um, help me, grandfather, and I will finish what you started. And of course, in the in the context that we had in 2015, Maybe that for us meant, oh, he's gonna he he his plans to take over the galaxy, and maybe that's what he intended in the in in that moment. But the way that it's gonna play out, and this is me being prophetic about it, but the way it's gonna play out <laughs> is that he will finish what his grandfather started, which will be um, him developing this relationship with Ray and finding a way to be with her. And you know the thing with Anakin is that he fell to the dark side because he couldn't save Padme. You know, the, the fact of the matter that he, he wanted to have Padme by his side so much that he ended up causing the very thing that brought him to the dark side. And if we are going with the idea that Kylo is reverse Anakin, then the reverse of that is that his feelings for her, for Rey, is what it's eventually going to bring him back to a more light, side not completely mm -hmm. he's gonna yeah. go complete light side but he will he will be back to being Ben Solo to let go of the dark side to let go of the past and he will embrace the light because of Ray and you know in some speculation that we even have done in the podcast that he will find a way 
or or maybe Ray will be the one to find a way to save people from dying, which is what Anakin wanted all, all along. Oh well, he was traumatized because he couldn't save his mother, and then he lost it completely when he couldn't save Padme. But the fact that maybe at one point Ray will be the one to find that way to save another people, another person's life in this case, Ben's. And that will be the the fact, the factor, the the moment that will bring him back to the light, and then it will be a complete circle with Anakin's story, Anakin's story, and Ben's. And it will really play. It will really pay off if you watch the movies chronologically. Oh yeah, you will like start. It, you will it, start with that with this really hopeful story with Anakin that goes bad, and then you're gonna find a middle ground with the original trilogy and in the end you're gonna find a complete happy ending and a complete circle with the sequel trilogy and it's gonna be like so beautiful to to watch back to back if if that's what ends up happening actually actually when we were watching the movies it did feel well all the movies are fantastic but it did feel incomplete like it felt like it felt like a hole that just were was missing its final part and i love that because it's just one story I, I, I love it. And, and yeah. I, I really believe it's going to pay off. And actually, uh, I believe it's more obvious that that is where it's going to happen when you think about what if it doesn't, because how tragic it will be that Anakin and Padme's grandson and Leia's son is just, it's going to stay in darkness, in darkness like how he began in, in the trilogy. That doesn't, that, that isn't good storytelling, I'm sorry. That's not good storytelling, sis. Yeah. yeah. Anyone mm-hmm. who tells you otherwise is like, uh, I don't know, they're, <laughs> they're blind. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I do think that if you look at it from a storytelling perspective, it's just the most obvious thing they can do. Like bringing balance to the force through Anakin Skywalker's grandson is just, it just makes sense, you know, yeah. because he ended up not bringing balance, but bringing darkness to the force. And his son, Luke, ended up bringing Light, light to the force but he didn't bring balance he just tipped the scale over to the light side mm-hmm. and that's not balance either the the force is still not balanced at by the end of the original trilogy and that's why it kind of feels like something is missing and that's what the sequel trilogy i think i i i want to believe will end up doing they will they will basically leave the scales balanced completely and it's not gonna be like um, the resistance is gonna win uh, the war against the first order, and Kylo Ren's gonna die, and Ray's gonna celebrate <laughs> with Luke's uh, force goes, and everyone will be happy. Like that's not what's gonna happen. <laughs> they will find a more mature ending, a more balanced ending, something that will compromise both sides. And but they will really feel more like a happy ending because if Anakin ended his story in a bad note then why would Ben Solo end up in a bad note as well? That's just, that's not what Star Wars is. And you have to remember that Star Wars is meant to be a children's movie. It's not meant to be nihilistic. It's not meant to be depressive. It's not meant to be realistic. And the fact of the matter is that if, if it will end up in a happy ending. And for some people, they think that Kylo Ren dying by the hands of Rey will be a happy ending when it will definitely not be. Because, as you said, he is the grandson of Anakin Skywalker. He is the, the, the grandson of Padme Amidala. He is the son of Han and Leia. 
the heroes of the original trilogy and he's the nephew of Luke Skywalker who's like the most legendary character ever so there's no way like this 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 boy will not end up in darkness I don't believe it for a second because they know Lucasfilms know but knows better than that and mm-hmm. I just I'm so so excited to see him you know giving um this I don't know <laughs> you know fulfilling his arc you know yeah that's, that's all I want to say and fulfilling the whole saga's arc yeah the, the whole saga's arc you know there's no one who you know the chosen one never really came to be because no one ever really brought balance to the force like not Luke Skywalker did not do that he did a lot of things and he was really good at a lot of things but he was not the chosen one because he did not bring balance to the force but he did uh, push Ben Solo's story forward mm-hmm. in that moment. You know, even as tragic as it was when he decided to ignite his saber, mm-hmm. even for a second, that's what pushed Ben Solo over to the dark side. But that's what it was needed because once he rose mm-hmm. to the dark side, it allowed for Ray to come to the light, you know, and mm-hmm. to rise as his counterpart. And I think that's what the Force needs. I don't think you can find balance in just one person. I think you need two. And you just will make a lot of sense to have someone that's more prone to light than dark and someone who is more prone to dark than light, you know, coming together and, you know, working together towards bringing balance to the Force. And that's the yin and yang. And that's just what Star Wars has been since the the beginning. I think that yeah. is a really, really great note to end the episode. Yeah, I love it. So, I mean, yeah, I love Anidala and I love Anidala in reverse. And <laughs> so, yeah. Crazy reverse Anidala. Crazy reverse Anidala. I have that at my Tumblr header for like all year. <laughs> um, uh, do you have anything else that you want to add, guys? Mm, no. Fair? No? No. I, don't I think. think... We said everything we needed to say. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, you know the, the whole point of doing this is just to kind of, mm, I don't know, to bring light to the fact that Raylo is not new. Like, the fact that we ship Raylo is something that it makes sense because of these things that have come before it. Like, these couples, these stories have paved the way for Raylo to be a thing. And you know it should really it shouldn't really come to a surprise to anyone if Raylo if when Raylo ends up being happening and being canon, because we have all this this behind it and we haven't even talked about the literary tropes that come before it that also uh, paved the way for Raylo and we will be talking about those in the future. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up and you know this you can look at these movies and these TV shows and these stories and definitely see what once Raylo is canon, if once Raylo is canon, <laughs> it's gonna be the, the basis for that. To end up the episode, I just want to give some, cute, um, some quick uh, recommendations. We always do um, fanfic and songs, so I have a song that I think you guys are going to love because it was explicitly based on Raylo, and it's called Starcrust. And it's by Miss This. You can find that on Spotify. It's spelled it's spelled Starcrossed um, all together. 
and Miss This is M-I-S-S-T-H-I-S, all together as well. And you can listen to it and you can really tell that um, um, the song is heavily, heavily radio and even the band, I don't know if it's just a singer, I don't know, I haven't looked them up, but on their Twitter page, they um, released the song with the hashtag Raylo because they were oh. like, we were inspired by what we saw in The Last Jedi. So this is a song that every Raylo needs to listen to because it is written by for Raylo, I mean. Okay, yeah, I just saved well. it. Yeah, it's a really good one. And for the fanfic, I don't have one fanfic in particular to, to recommend, but there is this recollection in AO3 um, that you can find that has a lot of holiday, um, Christmassy, tropey fanfics that are so funny and they're cute and you will find um, one to your liking. There are so many and they're so very well written. And I just think it's the perfect time of the year to read those. <laughs> like my favorite trope is the fake dating. Like, oh, Ben Solo needs to bring someone home for the holidays. So she's going <laughs> to take this girl some money because she's poor and she doesn't eat anything to bring <laughs> to be his date. And oh my God, they end up falling in love for real. Who, who would have guessed? I'm still waiting for my Christmas Prince AU though. Oh, if you can find something, good. please send it to uh, me. Maybe, maybe. I think maybe someone has <laughs> that. I don't know. I will have to look for it. But in the meantime, you can find that collection on AO3. I will try to link you guys to that. And in the meantime, I think that's all from us. Um, anything else that you guys want to add? Uh, I'm just going to say that happy holidays. We we okay. we had we didn't say that before. Yeah, we didn't say that. This episode will be coming out through through the holidays. Season. Yeah, it will be. And I don't know when the next one will come out because we need to um, schedule with Grisha. But, but uh, we really hope it will be soon because now we have a little more time because we're on holidays. So mm-hmm. we will try to deliver that episode to you as soon as possible. But for now, yeah, happy holidays in case we don't see you later in the year. Um, and happy 20. 2019, the year of Star Wars and the year of oh. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe 2019 is the official year of Star Wars. <laughs> so that's it from us, guys. Thank you so much. Remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Radio Alliance. You can send us an email, an email to RadioAlliance at gmail.com. And you can send us anything from comments to sound recommendations to um, reviews to any questions that you may have. Anything. You can send us anything. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, anywhere, anywhere you you listen to podcasts. And that's it, I think. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for your support. Um, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, guys. Boy with the haunted eyes, girl with the sunny smile, pine Where you begin